Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio, and that means you're listening to me, Deb Wolf, from Camp Good Dog. Yeah, really. You might even be able to hear dogs in the background today or a cat just before I came on the air. And my cats were vying for who gets to be on the back of my chair, way up top behind my head. And there were three contenders today. The very fit, very spry Bobby, young Bobby, the tabby, who can climb anything. He was up there for the longest time. And then he got bored watching the two girls vie for second place. So he came down to mediate and then he left. I don't know where he went. And the two sisters, Vashti and Ming Ming, they started to posture and quarrel. And the fatter, chunkier one won out, which I was very surprised to see because she had to climb all the way from the bottom of the floor to up the chair, up the back of the chair to sit on the top. Needless to say, this doesn't help my uh, my chair nor my furniture. <laughs> And so Vashti, the chunkier, heavier sister, won out. And I don't want to discourage her from climbing up my chair because, you know, she's not exactly athletic. So any exercise is good. But um, but it is a surprise. And now she's sitting up there purring and purring and purring, having won her coveted spot. It's an interesting fact I'm going to share with you about cats. I've shared it before, but it's quite interesting. They understand timeshare. So... Just to put it in a human perspective, for us, you know, we really want the place in Whistler. That's a ski place up here. We really want that during snow season, right? Or we really want it in the heat of summer when everybody can go swimming in the lakes. Nobody really wants it in between when it's raining and there's not much to do. And right, that's timeshare. You want it when it's good. You want that beach vacation when it's beach weather. Well, the same with the back of my chair. Nobody wants the back of my chair when I'm not sitting here. It has zero value. Undesirable place. Difficult to get to. Not that comfortable. No catnip there. No food. No point, really. But when I'm here, well, then they can be the only cat to get cuddled occasionally by my hand, absentmindedly, as I do the radio show. <laughs> and, and so it becomes the prized location. And that's true of a lot of things. If you see your cats kind of posturing and fighting and you think, what are they fighting over? They're fighting over nothing. Chances are they're fighting over timeshare. One of them wants to sit in the sun and uh, the other doesn't want to give up that spot in the sun. And when the sun moves, a different spot is the spot in the sun. So that just gives you a little bit of insight into what they might be quarreling over. It could be timeshare and who gets the good weeks and who gets the bad weeks. Anybody with a family vacation place, you know, a family cabin or cottage or beach house knows this problem. Well, everybody wants it on Thanksgiving long weekend, right? Nobody wants it the weekend after. Oh, yeah, you understand. Well, so do your cats. Okay, so today I'm going to detour a little bit away from cats. And that was just a subject that came to me watching them, as I often do. You know, I love to watch my dogs in secret when they don't know I'm watching. I love to see how they play with each other and what they do. And I've actually discovered one of my dogs was a standard poodle called Polka Dot. 
small, small standard poodle. She's two and a half now, just had her first litter. She's lovely. But I've discovered she's a kleptomaniac. She'll take anything. She doesn't really do much with the things, but she takes them and she sort of hides them away, spirits them away to secretive places, anything. Oh my goodness, what has she taken? A pair of pliers was yesterday. Measuring tape, you know, one of those retractable ones, quite heavy metal thing, the day before. No chew value, no food value. The only thing they that they have value is she knows they're of value to me. And I was probably touching them, you know, right before she took them. So fresh scent. But other than that, these objects can't be of use to her. And yet she'll take anything. She's such a little secret kleptomaniac. So when you watch your dogs in secret, you find out interesting things. All right, so we're going to do a show today that's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to take a break, and when I come back, I want to talk about the earthquake in Turkey and the dog dimension, all about rescue dogs today and how they rescue us. Okay, stay tuned. We'll be back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life. And that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, we're back on Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. And as you probably know, there was a terrible earthquake, a series of earthquakes, actually, two big ones and aftershocks in Turkey and Syria. And it was felt all the way through Lebanon, Israel, lots of places in the world felt it. And it's it's just a terrible situation for the people there. It's cold and um, there's snow in many, many parts. So people are going to be in real trouble if they don't get rescued. And one thing I noticed when I was researching this show was on the local avalanche group, the group here that rescues people from avalanches at the ski places, the mountains that we have here in British Columbia, Canada, they do it up at Whistler, but also all through the local mountains and any mountain in BC. Anyway, one of their quotes is, when you're buried, every second counts. And that is just, you can just imagine being buried under snow and no air, scared, terrified, what that might be like. And so these rescue dogs who help people buried under snow, they can sniff a person out 15 feet under snow, which is the same as the earthquake dogs. So the people there are asking for help and the help they're getting is coming in the form of dogs. So Swiss Rescue Dog Service is sending 22 rescuers with 14 dogs to Turkey 
75 rescue workers and two rescue dogs and a special rescue vehicle. The whole world is trying to help. And the thing they want most is rescue dogs because a dog can cover what 20 men can cover in the same time and cover it better. 98% accuracy rate, which is just unheard of in anything, anywhere. So you want the dogs there. Now, one thing that's kind of hit me as ironic in all this, because now the people there are so dependent on dogs. They need dogs more than anything else. They need dogs to come rescue them, to come sort through the rubble and find the people. And there could be hundreds or even thousands that need saving. But the ironic thing is that lately when I've been typing in turkey and rescue, I have not been getting this. I've been getting the opposite. I've been getting golden retrievers desperate for new homes released in the streets of Turkey. Once popular, now unpopular, people are just discarding them and they're falling prey to the street dogs and other hazards. And so there's a massive international adoption movement going on right now to rescue golden retrievers, purebred, loving, sweet golden retrievers from street life in Turkey. So that's going on at the same time. And I just hope that some of the footage of dogs rescuing people and some of the happy stories that will now come out of this tragedy will influence the psyche a little bit. And maybe there'll be more humanity, more kindness toward dogs in Turkey after this. But I do feel so bad for all these people and also for the dogs being sent there because the rescuer dogs, they have to go through so much. They have so much training, first of all, and they have to be selected just right. I mean, they have to be open-minded and obedient and eager to learn, and they have to do well with teamwork. So they're very lovey. They have no aggression in them whatsoever. They can encounter animals and people and whatever, and they're never going to bite or cause trouble. They have to love people to want to search for strangers. It takes about 600 training hours every year for one of these rescue dogs. I mean, the handlers also, right? The handlers also spend two days a week training and the dogs have to be specifically selected and they have to pass all kinds of tests and recertify every year. And the work is tough. The work is really tough. It's really unrewarding work. It's a difficult work because you're often finding people who've passed and it's a desperate situation and hunger and thirst and hazards are there. And so you really, really needed dedicated people and dedicated handlers. So I just want to give a shout out to all the people who do that. Thank you so much for helping us in the ways that you do. So we'll be back. We're going to take another break and we'll be back on Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. Stay tuned with that one. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com.
Hello, we're back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. And I want to talk about what makes a good rescue dog. Makes a good rescue dog. Okay, so it's it's really specific, right? It's not just your everyday pet. It has to be high drive. It has to be the dog has to be high energy, relentless fetch attitude. Just won't stop, won't stop, won't stop till he finds that ball, right? Because that's the same ethic the dog will apply to searching. Okay, so you've got all that. You've got an intense dog who loves everybody and is crazy for the ball and listens really well and has a long attention span not, not, and is very fit and young. Okay, okay, you may have a contender. <laughs> but what about the rest of our dogs? Do you think they'd rescue you? Do you think if you're, you know, you were stuck in a cave, would they come find you? If you were in a building on fire, would they alert people? I mean, dogs do that. From car accidents, house fires, near drownings, overseas combat, so many things dogs have rescued people from or alerted others to come find them when they're trapped. So many, so many. And these dogs are just regular dogs. In one case, Cocker Spaniel was adopted by this trucker and within three days he rescued him. Didn't even know the guy, right? Barely. So would your pet? Well, okay, so they did a big study on this. And it's a little bit confusing because at first the data looked like it was showing that only one third of regular normal dogs would rescue their owner. That's what it looked like from the way they did the control. They put the person in a box and then the dog had to go, you know, open a box and get the person out. And um, the person had to act like they were in distress, right? And then not call the dog by name, no obedience whatsoever, just be distressed. And they coached them on the acting of how to sound distressed, breathing heavy and, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. And uh, the dog, uh, and a third of the time, the pet dog would rescue its owner. Okay. But then they did a little more digging and they tested this new group of dogs to see which dogs, could, when they were highly motivated to find it and wanted it, which dogs would open the box that had the same mechanism, small box though, with a treat. So the dog wants a treat. He's desperate to get the treat. He wants a treat. He's dying to get the treat. And there's a box. Okay. So only about a third of the dogs were able to get that treat. So then what they decided to do was test only those dogs who were clever enough to open the mechanism and get the treat. So when they tested only those dogs... These are dogs who are capable of rescuing their humans. So they took out the group that can't really do it. Not smart enough, don't have the right paws, aren't big enough, whatever the problem was, they took them out of the equation. So they've only got dogs who can do it if they wanted to. And when they tested them, 84% of those dogs rescued their owners. And I think that's remarkable because I don't think you'd get that high a number with people. I think maybe people would call 911, but I don't know. I don't don't think they'd dive in there. They'd be worried someone would confine them. You know, it's a risk, right? If you're locked up, well, who locked you up and where is he? And I don't want to get locked up too. So I I don't know. I mean, this was pretty incredible. And then they decided to to see if the same dogs would, like a different group, but a group that could, could, was capable of opening the mechanism. Okay, so they did another test and they had the owner hide but not be distressed. Just hide, read a book, whatever, in the same mechanism. And a huge number of the dogs went to be with them, not rescue them, just sprung the trap so they could sit with them. So, I mean, that tells you a lot too about rescue dogs and dogs and how they are. 
But these dogs, they spend 600 hours training per year. And that's after they qualify. And then they have to re-qualify all the time. And sometimes they get injured. And so it's not for the faint of heart. And it's certainly a job we need so, so desperately. No matter how many gadgets we invent, no matter how many sensors, all this high-tech equipment and lasers and satellites and heat sensors and all that, nothing, nothing's even close to a rescue dog. So that's why we have them. And that's why we need them. And most of them are um, German Shepherds and Labs for the most part. There's a few Poodles and Poodle Crosses, I noticed because they did a breakdown of the of the breeds and the percentages, and they're actually more highly represented than I thought. But it makes sense, because poodles are independent thinkers, and this is an independent thinking job. The handler isn't telling you where to look. He's trusting the dog to tell him where to look. It's the exact opposite. It's pretty amazing work. Most of these dogs live and train with their handler, and some of these SAR associations, that's Search and Rescue, some of them adopt dogs from shelters, if just to do this, they save them from homelessness or familylessness, if you will. And they give them not, you know, I mean, these dogs, if they find them in a shelter, they're probably bouncing off the walls and they're probably not very adoptable as pets. It's the same kind of thing I used to look for when I used to look for dogs to send to the um, prison people. Yeah, they're not exactly pet dogs. So they're not taking them away from a normal family. What they're doing is giving them a job for life and a family for retirement, and a family to be with when they're not working. So, I mean, it's just win-win for the dog. Um, they've got to have intelligence, high energy, and confidence. They also have to have a high level of play drive because the ball is the reward. They're doing all this for the ball and for the fact that they love people. And they have to be able to focus for a long period of time without being distracted. So a lot of your hyper ball dogs are not able to focus for a long period of time without being distracted. But some will. Some will just stare and stare and stare at the last place the squirrel disappeared. Or they'll dig out a stick from a pile of sticks that to every human are identical and find the exact one you threw. You can put a notch in it and they'll find that stick. That's the kind of dog they're looking for. So... <laughs> So it's a very, very special dog. I want to go to the site and just read to you what it would be like if you were in this situation. So this is a description they have. I'm just going to read it out. This is what happens. Okay, so if you're a person that's now buried under snow or buried under rubble, it says, if you are still conscious, you will be giving off a strong odor that rises through the porous snow and debris. This scent a mixture of sweat, skin, bacteria, and soap, other products, uh, will be most concentrated near its source. That's you. So most concentrated near you. The wetness of a dog's nose absorbs that scent. Each nostril works independently, helping to determine which direction the scent is coming from. A trained dog will be able to track what's referred to as bright, which is strong, and dim, which is weak, smells in the air. As the scent gets brighter and brighter, stronger and stronger, the dog knows he's on the right trail. On a still day, the scent will spread in a wide pattern. On a windy day, 
that cone becomes narrower, putting the dog's ability to the test. Zigzagging up the slope, the dog will continue to sniff the air, occasionally going off the avalanche debris field to detect the edge of the scent cone. Once the rescue dog detects your location under the snow or debris, it will begin to scratch and bark to alert the rescuers. We got a strike, you'll hear, once it's determined the dog has found a victim. At this point, the human rescuers will take over with the probe to determine if the strike is accurate before they begin to dig. In a scenario with multiple victims, the handler and dog will continue to locate. So off the dog and handler go to find the next person, save the next person until all the victims are found. So this is going to be a long haul and they've already saved people there, these dogs. It's an incredible situation and I wish them strength and oh, good luck, really good luck and good hunting, good luck. Okay, everybody. So I think I should steer this show in a slightly lighter direction for a little bit. I was watching TV and Mark Critch, a star of This Hour, has 22 minutes. If you've never seen it, it's a great, funny show. It's kind of like, um, sort of like Saturday Night Live, but it's only a half hour. This hour is 22 minutes. It's actually 22 minutes of show. And uh, the stars on it are Canadian and they're comedians and they do really funny skits about everyday life. But I noticed lately Mark Critch has been adding in the way Bob Barker used to on The Price is Right. He's been adding in a one-liner at the end of every show saying, spay and neuter your pets. Well done, Mark. Thank you very much. Because cat math is a nightmare. One plus one intact cat equals thousands in a few years. So spay and neuter your animals, definitely. And when you do, keep that cone collar on and watch those animals. At five days, it gets itchy. Don't cheat. You don't want them ripping out their stitches. You want it to heal properly. So that's really important. Okay, so I was also I was also watching TV, watching the news, and at one point they announced they were I thought they announced they were sending geese into space. And I thought, oh no, that's terrible. Why would they do that to geese? Didn't they learn why are they still sending animals in space? And I got all upset and I got on the internet trying to find these this news article and it turns out i don't know barking dogs or whatever i had heard wrong they're actually sending yeast into space y e a s t yeast and i'm i'm okay with that so <laughs> so i don't have to picture some kind of honking going on in the solar system it's just yeast in a tray and uh, we've been talking about dog breeds a little bit today just in terms of what kind of dogs make good rescue dogs and while it's true that you know, the nature-nurture debate. It's true that bred dogs have a certain personality by their breeding. Golden retrievers are bred to swim and bloodhounds are bred to use their noses and all that. It's also true you can shape a dog a lot with how you treat it and how you train it and what it experiences, especially at that three to six month period of life when they're so impressionable and learning what to fear and what to trust. But nonetheless... They always have a kind of set way of being. And I just, just little examples, like when my golden retriever and my doodle both want attention and they know they're not just supposed to jump up, but they'll see me sitting on a high stool in the kitchen. And if I give them the nod, they know it's okay to gently 
jump up so I can pet them. And what happens every single time, no matter how many times, the golden, she plants her feet right on my legs, hard too, hard, enough that, you know, another person might get bruised or cut. You don't want to be wearing shorts. I mean, it's a boom, she's there. And the doodle gingerly places her feet, her paws just on the edge of my chair so it doesn't hurt and it doesn't scratch. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing. And of course, I end up pushing the golden off early. I give her a few pets and push her off early because, you know, it's not that comfortable. And the doodle gets to stay for a while. Does the golden ever figure this out? Nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. And the same is true for my doggy doors. I have two puppies that are supposed to learn doggy door right now. That's kind of what they're here at Camp Good Dog for. And they're golden retrievers. And if they were standard poodles, they'd have got it in 10 minutes. They'd have seen a dog. They would have seen a dog go through it once or even twice. And then they would have tried it themselves. Maybe gingerly at first with their just their head or their paw. Or maybe they would have run through with another dog at first. But by I would not have had to show them or teach them at all. And within an hour, they'd have got it. If I just put them in the area with other dogs going in and out of a doggy door, they would have figured it out. Well, these two golden pups now <laughs> have had three such opportunities with extended time. And I've opened the door and I've put some of the flaps up and I've made it extra easy. And I've sat inside with treats and I've sort of pushed them through and pulled them back. And oh my goodness, they're still not getting it. One of them, the boy... He can come in, but not out. Now, I tell me, how does it that they that he could figure out one direction and not the other? No poodle, no border collie, whatever, be a one direction doggy door dog. No way. But I'm hopeful that today's the day they're going to get it and uh, learn the doggy door. It's pretty fun, actually, teaching golden retriever pups how to use a doggy door. Not a bad task for me this afternoon. So, okay, well, I wanted to just give a shout out to that oldest dog. There was an oldest dog in the news, 23. Now, it used to be the oldest dog was 29. He was Bluey, and um, he was an Australian cattle dog, a Blue Healer, like one of mine, who's 12 and definitely slowing down. But my, my last Blue Healer, she only made it till 11 or 12 as well. But uh, But this dog, even though, okay, so it's 23, and it's supposed to be the world's oldest dog, and it's been fed human food, which is kind of controversial these days. People don't really recommend that anymore. Vets don't recommend it anymore. But I personally feed my dogs commercial kibble, the best brand I can get. It's a little bit expensive, I got to say. But I top it up with human food carefully. So I never give them things they're not allowed, like onions or grapes or raisins or chocolate, all those things. If I was ever in doubt, I would look it up. You know, I only stick to what I know is safe. But I find my dogs live a long time. I do. And not only that, they're very sprightly. You know, my seven-year-old poodle, he... Well, actually, if you check out Camp Good Dog Facebook, a few days ago, we posted some dogs just greeting each other and bouncing around. And you'll see him. He's at the end of the post. He's the red guy, the red poodle. And he's just prancing and trotting and celebrating. And he don't look like a seven-year-old dog. No, he doesn't. So uh, that's food for thought, so to speak. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. From us here at Pet Life Radio and me, Dab Wolf, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. 
only on PetLifeRadio.com.